0: You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Merle Doherty is manager of the Rapid Response Team of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association of Canada. He leads a team of volunteer chaplains from across the country who respond to man-made and natural disasters, providing spiritual and emotional care. Merle joins us to talk about the work of the team what a ministry of presence looks like in times of tragedies, large and small, and also how to stop saying such goofy things to people who are grieving. My name is Karen Stiller. Merle, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today.
1: Thank you, Karen. It's good to be here.
0: So I'm really interested in your um, rapid response team that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association of Canada runs. And I know you're the lead. Can you just give us a, a thumbnail sketch of what the work is about?
1: Absolutely. We're uniquely trained chaplains all across Canada, volunteer chaplains. And we go into disaster situations, both man-made and natural and our chaplains are trained in trauma and grief and how to respond in a disaster situation, such as a flood, a fire, an earthquake, or man-made, such as the—it We were. At, it was not a disaster, the G7 summit, but we had specially trained chaplains there to provide prayer over the event. Man-made, such as the Humboldt uh, accident that occurred this spring in April— as well as uh, the two incidences in Toronto, we had chaplains there. So our chaplains go into an area and they provide spiritual and emotional care to people that are going through this uh, grief as a result of a traumatic event.
0: So Merle, um, let's take the Toronto incidents, for example. First of all, who are the chaplains who show up? Are they pastors from all across Canada? Or are they ordinary church people like me?
1: That's a good question, and the answer is yes to both and yes to all. We chaplains are all volunteers, and there are retired pastors, there are serving pastors. Most of my chaplains are not. They are from every walk of life you can think. We have nurses, we have counselors whose profession is to counsel. We have police officers, we have, oh, I was going to say firemen, but we don't have any firemen yet. So if you're listening and you're a fireman, we're looking for you. And uh, just every walk of life you can think of, uh, people who are part of their grief share, part of their altar ministry in their churches, people who have been called into the ministry of care. And this is kind of like another step in their growth in that care. So they're from all walks of life in Canada.
0: And you train them, of course
1: absolutely they come to us with an amazing amount of skills already in most cases but our training is for 49 hours of training for our chaplains we have we have two levels we have coordinators who are the supervisors in the field and then we have chaplains all of our chaplains take 49 hours of training and that training Karen that they take is grief and trauma that we have a, a we have created a course uh, it's called sharing hope in crisis it's a one day course on trauma and grief and then we use courses from the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. And those courses are all CISM, which stands for Critical Incident Stress Management Courses. And all of my chaplains must take four, pardon me, three of those courses, as well as the base course. And that adds up to 49 hours of our training. And as well, all of our chaplains have to have a vulnerable sector check And that's the check from the police agencies. It's just the next step beyond a criminal record check that we get for employment.
0: Okay. And for you to, say, show up at the recent tragedies in Toronto, are you called? Does a church call you and say, we need your help? Or are you just kind of showing up and saying, I'm here?
1: Sometimes it's one way they call us. And sometimes we call them and say, this is what we have to offer as chaplains. And we advise them that we can deploy our chaplains and they ask us to come come to their community. Uh, we're still, uh, although we've been around in Canada since 2005, that's only 13 years, we're just starting to become known as an agency that does respond to disasters, both man-made and natural. And so because of that, we have to do some door knocking ourselves. But in some cases, we are, such as Danforth, we were actually called by a church right down on Danforth that was aware of who we were, and really, they were—they knew that we had the chaplains. They didn't know the depth of the chaplain ministry. They said, "Can you send some chaplains just to help with our church?" And in that incidence, we had chaplains on site in 24 hours.
0: Wow! And of course, for the Danforth incident, just to remind people who might be listening that uh, that was a tragic shooting uh, in a very busy and family-filled part of Toronto. Um, Merle, uh, what? are people experiencing in times of tragedy like that, in times of big public awful events, uh, the citizens on the street that your chaplains might come up and approach? What are they typically feeling and experiencing inside themselves?
1: Well, there are such a host of emotions that we can come across. And that's why our chaplains do have that rounded training. The, The emotions, they vary. They can be, let's say we're at a site, uh, we have responded to a number of forest fires in Canada, and we may be at a site and standing with a homeowner and their family looking at their home that has just been destroyed by a forest fire. And so all they're looking at is the the cement and ashes, and the emotions they're going through, through are intense grief. They're going through the loss. They're going through, sometimes they're going through triggered events, triggered emotions, pardon me, where something has occurred in the past and it's being linked because of this and their emotions are extremely strong. And to say what are they going through, and to put it on, put one one thing on paper. People are going through so much, and our chaplains are trained to just stand there and listen and elicit the response, so people can express what it is they are going through. Uh, what we found, and what the literature that we've received, is that if we can get some people in front of people going through trauma that are going through trauma very quickly. And that they get an opportunity to express that. They get an opportunity to have someone listen to them. And it doesn't have to be someone who's uh, trained as a counselor or professionally or trained as a professional doctor. Just someone who has some, some basic training and some compassion. Then these people, they deal with the emotion better. They deal, rather than it getting stuck inside, they're able to express that emotion. And by expressing it, it doesn't stay inside and that's the beauty of us being able to respond anywhere in Canada in 72 hours, is that we get there quickly, we get there to help the homeowners in whatever uh, grief they are going through at that time.
0: Talk to me about listening, because you said that a couple of times, and I think uh, often we are terrible at listening, but you obviously train your people to listen well. So tell me what listening well looks like, or sounds like.
1: What sounds like?
0: It sounds like the other
1: person talking a lot and me not talking. You are correct. Uh, you've heard maybe your parents, and I know my parents probably said to me because I was an active young guy, is Merle, you have two ears and one mouth. Let your ears work twice as hard as your mouth. And so our chaplains, they truly do, they, they listen. They may ask a, ask a question. The question is designed to elicit a response, and then we listen and we listen, and we listen, and then we listen some more, and we listen some more. And we don't interject our stories. We don't interject where we were last week. We just listen and and ask them how they're doing. And in, re- and in all reality, when our chaplains are there, and they are listening, and they're caring, and you know when someone is truly listening and caring, and they're, they're uh, sympathetic and empathetic, you know that, and your heart feels that. And our chaplains are trained to listen and to care and to, without saying anything, through their eyes and through their their body language, is to show these people we're standing with that we truly care about their story. We want to hear it. And when people know that we care, then they just talk and they talk and they talk. And our training, again, we are not professional counselors. Our training is designed just to get them talking and Just enough training to see that maybe they may need to be moved forward to professional counseling in their community. That's one way it looks like, Karen, is it's listen, listen, listen. And the other way it looks like it's called a ministry of presence. And a ministry of presence, I think a lot of people are starting to understand what that is. A ministry of presence, I'll give you an example. I was in a province and it was a forest fire and I came upon the property and the husband and wife were on the property. And I was there with our brother, Samaritan's Purse, and they were doing an appraisal of the home. And I went to the man and I just stood there and I said, hi, how are you? How are you doing? And really, I didn't say much more than that. The gentleman that I stood beside, I stood beside for about an hour and I really never said a word in that whole hour. I just, I would nod and I would let him know that I was engaged by hearing what he had to say. And this man spoke to me and spoke to me, and spoke to me, and spoke to me, and spoke to me. And I ministered to that man quietly. And the reason I ministered to that man quietly is is twofold, Karen. One is that I was quiet. And two, and most importantly, is that I know who is within me. I know that Jesus Christ is within me. And I know that Jesus Christ is ministering to that man. Whether he knows Jesus or not, Jesus loves him and is ministering to that man. And that's what I bring there. And so when I'm standing there quietly, I know in the spirit that Jesus is ministering to this man. And that's why that man is talking. And that's why that man is sharing. And that's why that man sees that I care. Because it's not me in the physical, it's Jesus within me in the spiritual that elicits his response. Whether he knows Jesus or not, the beautiful thing is, Karen, Jesus knows him.
0: Well, that sounds really hard. (laughs) Because I think so often our inclination is to provide an answer and that we feel so uncomfortable in the face of deep grief and terrible loss that we want to rush in and fill in you know, those gaps and, and say something that we think is profound. So it must take tremendous discipline and I'm guessing practice to to just kind of shut up and let somebody talk.
1: It does. It does. We emphasize that in our training is chaplains. You need to listen. You need to listen. You need to listen. It's not about us. Our chaplains are well trained. And at the end of the day, we will let them talk in a chaplain setting when we get together and do a briefing at the end of the day. But when they're in front of the homeowner or they're in front of this person that's gone through a traumatic event, then they are just to listen and they're listening. It is very hard. And you're right. Have we been successful 100% of the time? I should say, have I? No. Are there times that I should have had a zipper on my lip and had it closed? Absolutely. And you learn from those, those errors. But here's the best thing about it is that the grace of God is so good that despite my open my mouth at the wrong time, he will use all that we're doing there to his advantage. And so I have that as a confidence as well, that even when I make a mistake and I should be zipping the lip and I should just be listening, I might say something and I shouldn't, or someone else does, is we encourage them to say, don't worry about it, God's got it.
0: Yeah. So when do you, I'm thinking about in our own lives when we're dealing with friends who have experienced great loss or something. And uh, let's say, you know, I am a good listener, but at some point I feel like, no, I think I should share the scripture verse with my friend, or I think I should invite them to church. Or how do you know when it's okay to do that?
1: That's a really good question. And that all stems to relationship. Whether your relationship has been one day, one week, 10 years, it's in the relationship that you have with that person at that time. Our chaplains, yes, they're trained. They're trained to go in. They're trained to listen. They're trained to receive the response back and listen some more. But there comes a time and they listen to the Holy Spirit prompting. As we teach our chaplains, please, please, please listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. And only speak when you're when you're asked to be spoken to. And that's usually after a lot of listening. But when it becomes time... You just seem to know. You know when it's time to speak. So let's use an example. Our chaplains are trained to go to disaster responses, and and they truly are, and they do. But more importantly, Karen, my chaplains take their training with them into the church, and they take that into life, and they take that to the soccer games and the hockey games, and they take that to the dance recitals. Wherever they go, they take this training with them. And because they take this training with them, They hear differently when someone speaks to them. And that's, I think, the the most important thing that our training does. And I tell my chaplains, thank you. I appreciate you being with us. I love that you're here with us. I know eventually God will release you onto the next journey of your life. And when he does, you'll be better trained to listen, to carry a burden of someone else that's in the pew with you or at the soccer game or at the recital. And that's the best thing about my chaplains is they take this with them everywhere. So how do you know when to speak? It's the relationship. If you have a girlfriend, Karen, and you have a great relationship, you know when to speak with her. When you're talking with this friend of yours, you know when to interject, when to give advice, when to just listen. You know that. And when you're, when you're talking with someone, let's say it's altar ministry. An altar ministry is similar to what we do as chaplaincy because there's not a lot of pre-relationships in most cases. In an altar ministry, though, what's happening is someone comes forward. An altar ministry in a church would be a ministry that a church has where people are invited forward or invited wherever they may have it for prayer. And then they have people trained in the church who offer prayer for those people who would like prayer. But it takes someone stepping forward to whatever, whether it's a room or it's a front. We we say altar ministry or I say altar ministry. It's usually at the front of the church at the altar. And so you're standing in front of the altar with your prayer partners. And so let's say someone comes forward and it's Sunday, it's church service, and it's an altar ministry time, it's the end of the service. Someone comes forward and they say whatever they say, because you don't know what people are going to say when you're standing there at altar ministry. And one of my biggest prayers, Karen, is help, Lord, because I don't know what's going to come out of someone's mouth when they step up to me and say, "Hey, do you have a moment?" Altar ministry is like that, and so at an altar ministry, I listen and I listen and I listen and I see what it is they want, and then I, and I'm as I'm listening to them, I'm also listening to the Holy Spirit, and I'm listening, and sometimes I will. I will thank them for sharing that with me, because anytime someone shares with you something that's going on in their life and is deep and personal, I mean, it's a privilege to be a part of that. And so sometimes I will say, you know, I think at this time that you should pray a prayer. Would it be okay with you? And they will. And then then I will follow up with a prayer. And then sometimes I will say thank you, and I will pray with them. And again, I'm listening of how to pray into whatever it is going on in their life. How does that translate? When we're on disaster scenes, Uh, we've been talking about Danforth. Let's use the, the Danforth Avenue as an example. How did our chaplains know when to talk there? Again, it was the same. It was listening, 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 seeing where these people are because what might be happening in front of them may not be the grief that is truly going on because what's happening in front of them may have triggered a past grief. And that's the important part of listening is are we listening to what's happening right in front of us or are we listening to some things that occurred in their past that have been triggered by what's happening in front of us and so it's just asking questions exploratory questions what did you think this was is it possible rather than us saying you know we think this and you need this that's not our role our role is not to tell them what they need or tell them where to go but simply to elicit responses from them is is it possible, do you think, have you considered those types of things? Okay.
0: And what are some of the um, statements people might make sometimes that are not helpful? Like I'm thinking of uh, of a woman uh, I used to know in a church who, if someone lost a child, had this line she thought was great, which is, you know, God must have needed another angel in heaven. And um, I knew intuitively that was not a great thing to say, but I, I wasn't sure how to suggest she speak otherwise, but people say clumsy things like that.
1: They do. And in our courses, we teach people uh, some of the things not to say, and you can Google this or do your internet browser, things not to say in grief. And the person who said that to you, they in no way were meaning any harm to you emotionally. And I know that because that's not the type of people they are. But what happened is they don't know what to say. Right. And because of that, you say things that you don't mean to say. Let me use another example. We had a dog that we had for I think 10 or 11 years. And we had to take the dog into the vet and the dog had to be put down. And so we put the dog down and held the dog. And after a while, the uh, really nice vet came in and said, Are you ready? And we were ready, and so she took the dog from uh, my wife, and she looked at my wife and said, "I'm so sorry for your loss, but at least you have the good memories." Mm. Now, now I know that that young vet lady—I know she meant nothing in her heart that was ill towards my wife or I. But at least you have the memories—is one of those things like, "Well, yeah, I do have the memories, but really, I want them back." You know, whatever, whoever them is—is is whether it's a friend or family—and so. I would advise people, and I do this, and it's really hard to do, but when someone is going through something, is just to look at them, hug them, maybe cry with them. Just, I'm so sorry for your loss, and move on. Don't say what you think you need to say because you don't need to say anything. People remember things like, well, you're young, you can marry again. Now, there's an expression, someone who's uh, lost a husband at a very young age. Or a wife, well, you're young, you can marry again. The person saying that doesn't mean any harm. But what's wrong with just saying, I'm so sorry for your loss. But we don't know what to say. And so we fill it with things that just come out wrong. And it's interesting, the people I've talked to and the things I've heard as I travel and and do the training for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is people remember those who sat with them people remember those who cried with them and people remember those who were just silent that ministry that uh, ministry of presence that i talked about Karen people remember who came who sat on their couch with them who held their hand and who just sat there quietly for the whatever time it took
0: yeah and they also remember who said the dumb stuff <laughs> but you know we all do it yeah absolutely and if i can give any
1: advice it's just don't say anything it's just express nonverbally if that's what you have to do. It is a tragic situation, whatever it is. Express nonverbally and don't say anything yeah.
0: and we can we can also confess that we don't know what to say right we We can give someone a hug, say we're so sorry, and say i I don't know what to say that would be helpful, but I love you,
1: absolutely, and the key there is I love you,
0: yeah. How can churches find out about more about taking this course, Sharing Hope in Crisis? Is it available everywhere? Or
1: No, it's not available everywhere. It's only available through contacting us at billygraham.ca slash RRT, billygraham.ca slash RRT, and contacting us at uh, the website is info at bgea.ca, and we can begin conversations with churches and potentially hold a course we there's some things we ask of churches before we go forward but they can begin a conversation we can have that with them and see if they would like to host a, a course the beautiful thing about this course is that it's sharing hope in crisis is kind of trauma and grief 101 and what it does Karen is it gives people some equipping for those everyday situations our chaplains are are designed to go out and do chaplaining within disasters. But the course that we have is for life. It's for the broken leg. It's for the motor vehicle collision. It's for the, the, the loss of the pet. It's for, for what goes on in our everyday life. What we've, what we've learned is when a big disaster happens, people, 75 to 80% of them are already going through stuff. And so it's the daily stuff that these courses can help people with. I've had so many people who, after the course, have contacted me by email or in person and said, Merle, you wouldn't believe. And the story always unfolds. I was at whatever it was, church, I was at a soccer game, wherever it is. And I had someone come up to me and this just happened to them. And I started listening and I went, I know what to do. And just having that little bit of equipping so that you listen differently, so that people will speak to you. I believe we are called to carry one another's burdens, and that's what that is, is carrying a burden. And then, of course, we have to remember to give that to Christ when we're done.
0: Merle, thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome, Karen. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I hope that I've been able to speak some wisdom. And if I have, please don't look to me. Look to the Lord for that, because it's Him speaking through me.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit wwwthefcca forward slash faith today.